0: Will you turn with me in your Bible please, in Matthew chapter 11? Matthew chapter 11. We're going to talk today about rest. Um, it's my practice. I don't know if it's good or bad at this point, but I haven't heard anything back from all of you yet, so I'm just going to go with it. It's my practice to uh, actually talk to you, and you talk to me during sermons sometimes. So uh, don't be freaked out by that. But I'm going to ask you real questions as we talk a little bit today. We're gonna look at the book of Matthew 11 here in just a moment as Jesus is talking. I hope you all had a good daylight savings. Did everybody fall back okay? Good, praise the Lord. It's the best day of the year. As I was thinking about daylight savings, one of the challenges is, sometimes we're really tired. Have you ever experienced travel fatigue? Where you need a vacation from a vacation. You know what I'm talking about? Why is that? You just do too much sometimes. Look at this poor kid. He's in trouble. <laughs> That's a weird phenomenon, isn't it? Because you're coming back from relaxing and you're just exhausted. Let's read Matthew chapter eleven and see what the Lord says about see what the Lord says about rest. This is what Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 through 30 says this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, says Jesus, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Praise the Lord for his word. That's a famous passage. We've all heard it before. Uh, it's a wonderful thing that Jesus says. We're going to talk about what that means because he uses some old farming words like yoke that we don't really talk about a lot. It's not an egg yolk. But I have a question for you. Here's my first question. How do you define rest? How do you define rest? This is a real question. Respite from activity, like that frog. He's man, he's chilling. Yep. OK. Your mind is not fatigued, because sometimes you cannot have activity, but your mind is going 100 miles an hour. Kind of like traveling. Like you just sit there mostly, if you're on a plane or something, but it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. How, so how do you define exhaust? Uh, how do you define rest? Just that your mind is at ease? Is that it? You're peaceful. OK. That's good. Anything else? There might be an element that you're very comfortable with your surroundings so that that's not creating mm-hmm. more of like discontent or something around you. Yeah. Peaceful with your surroundings. Yeah, a lot of people say like go back to nature. But camping <laughs> is the opposite of rest. The opposite. It's wonderful. If you have a camper, it's different. Anyway, okay. Um, Is anybody in here a runner? Okay, what about run? Some people find rest in running, right? So, in the labor of it, you can actually find rest. How does that work? Obviously, not my gifting here. So, that's different, isn't it? So, rest can be not all the things we describe sometimes, depending on different people. That's odd. Can anybody find rest at their work? Sure, says Steve. How, how so? It's true. <laughs> <laughs> she knows too much. <laughs> you can find rest at work, that's true. Any, anybody else? Somebody who hasn't said anything? Personally, you know, I like to bake, and I think I bake partly because it's. Yeah. That's good. Baking. Yeah. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, anybody else? Here's the problem it's elusive, right? Rest can be elusive. And in my experience, daylight savings, the best day of the year when you get to fall back, you get one extra hour. Not usually very restful because I squander it. Right? You end up staying up later. We were at uh, the Troy congregation had a fall festival last night, and so they had a little bonfire thing out at the Lormans. If you've ever been out there, it's a wonderful time. And Joel, one of the Lorman guys, was doing hay rides for the kids. And so as they were getting ready to go on the hay hayride, some of the young people were in the back of the trailer talking on the hay. And one of the kids was saying, it's daylight savings, it's daylight savings. This is going to be so great. I'm going to stay up till 2 in the morning. <laughs> but it's only 1, so it's not that late. That was their whole definition, like, this is awesome. I don't know what they'll be doing, but that's what their plan was. And sometimes, you know, you get that extra hour, and you have this idea of, like, this is going to be really great. And not always. Have you ever gotten back from a vacation that was so wonderful and so great and so awesome, and that Monday morning, you are totally exhausted, not from the vacation, but because you never really felt rest? How does that happen? Isn't that weird? The problem is sometimes that we try to get REST in ways that God doesn't tell us to. If you use Google uh, REST, let's Google it together, here's what it says. REST is a uh, representational state transfer, which is a special computer program that helps two different computers talk, basically helps your internet work better, (laughs) right? Jim Boss is like, RESTful. (laughs) He has a RESTful system. (laughs) Josh Dyan's vector. like, we'll talk later. It's great. But if you search REST, eventually down the list, you'll find the Webster dictionary definition of REST as we would know it. But for all the tech guys, that's the first stuff that comes up. Now, I thought that was interesting just because I was actually looking for images of REST for the PowerPoint. But I thought it was interesting because in the world, when you think about REST, there is no REST. You don't have time to REST, right? And if you take that personal time to REST, you need to be deliberate about that because it's very short. And really, when you think about rest, that's just a good acronym for a computer program that we all should know that will make your life better somehow. Rest is an elusive concept, not only for us sometimes, but definitely for the world. And we end up trying to find rest in all the wrong places. We try to find it in relationships. We try to find it in entertainment. We try to find it in all kinds of stuff. And you end up just more tired than you used to be. Have you ever binge watched a Netflix show until late in the night, and then you're exhausted the next day? You're exhausted. But that was the whole point was, this is relaxing. I'm getting rest in the way I want it. I'm I'm being entertained. And then it totally backfires on you. That happens a lot. Ask any teenager. So here's the question. Does God care about rest? The answer, of course, is yes, he does. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He tells the people that they should enter into his rest, that he is the reason for rest. This picture here is of some animals, and they are yoked together. So the red thing is just part of the PowerPoint template thing, so that's not actually supposed to be there. But that contraption there is a yoke. And what it does is it connects those two animals together so that they can pull better. I guess this would be two ox power yoke. And the, the, in this particular case, there's a farmer in the back who has it into a little tiller thing, and he's, he's plowing the earth there to, to plow it up to be able to plant seed or do whatever. And so the ox are pulling that to help because it's hard to get through the ground. Now, that's a big job. Have you ever dug a hole? And you're, at first you're like, this is going to be great, easy. I'll be at China, no problem. And then you get like one foot in, you're like, well, this is hard. <laughs> and it just fills in a little bit, and it never kind of goes right. Think about trying to do all this work without the proper implement, without the proper power here. It would be very difficult. And what's really interesting here is Jesus is saying that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, but he doesn't say that his rest means inactivity. In fact, the implication is he's going to use you to till up the ground. The implication is he's going to burden you actually do some farming and do some work together and he's going to connect you to something in order to do that most likely and it may be a one ox power something or horsepower or whatever but usually you get more work done if you have more and so there's an implication here that Christ is calling us to be joined together for the good of doing something and here's the huge reality that's really difficult to understand is that we are ineffective for kingdom work ineffective for kingdom work if we are not restful people. If we don't know how to be at rest, if we can't sort of stop all the other stuff to be able to be productive for God, we're not going to be effective in the kingdom. Think about what would happen if one of these ox decides to lay down. There were a lot of pictures of that. I actually thought about putting one up. There was another great picture of a donkey, poor thing, and it was, had so much uh, weight behind him on a cart that he was flipped up in the air. I'm sure you've seen that one, it's famous. The yoke can go really bad, but Jesus is promising that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. In other words, this is really important because he's not saying, you're the farmer and I'm going to give you ox to do it. He's saying, you're my beast of burden and I'll treat you right. That's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? So what does real rest look like? As we're thinking about this, one of the things we need to think about is what the Scripture shows us in terms of structure. Structure is really important. It helps us to be able to do things. For instance, the chairs you're sitting on right now, if they were a bad structure and they only had three legs, it wouldn't go well, and you'd be very tired trying to hold yourself up. Structure is important. I often think about that when I am flying. In the few times that I've flown, um, I often think about, I'm just in a machine right now that's hurtling through the air. What will happen? If it turns off. When I was in the military, I used to uh, fly in helicopters sometimes, and it's the coolest thing ever. Helicopters are so great, depending where you sit. There's one seat that will beat you half to death because yeah, the way the wind comes in. Anyway, helicopters are really cool, and they fly. The, the way they fly, the way they feel, it's really neat. But the thing about a helicopter is if those blades stop spinning, there's no gliding. It's not like an airplane where there's lift with the wings. You just sort of fall. And so, it's an odd feeling to think that the structure of this machine that I'm in is not only moving me somewhere, but is actually preserving my life. Look at this picture. This was a plane that had catastrophic structural failure upon landing, didn't go so well. Could you imagine being in that plane? It would be horrifying. It would be just awful. What about structure? You see, sometimes we get so riled up, we get so tired, we get so exhausted because we're not following God's structure. We're not doing things the way that he said. And there's two parts to this. The first part is that our mindset has to be changed because when we think about what God has for us and what he wants for us, oftentimes we think that the yoke he's gonna put us on, that other picture is of an old yoke, the thing that the oxen had on them. When we think of the yoke put on us, sometimes we think that's it. I get the yoke put on me, I can carry that around, I'll identify as a Christian, and I'm good, and then I'll walk in God's blessing. And the reality is that yoke is going to be connected to some kind of implement to do something for God. Not only to another oxen probably, but also it's going to be connected to the plow or to the cart or to the whatever. And so when Jesus is saying that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, it's not just an idea of I'll bear this and then God will bless me. It's an idea of this is my identity now. That I work for God and he has equipped me with this yoke that is light and in him his burden is easy. But I'm going to do this purpose for him now. And that purpose looks like plowing the fields. It looks like winning souls. It looks like Raising a family for God. It looks like worshiping him in all circumstances. It looks like being ready in season and out of season. It looks like being prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. It looks like living free from sin. It looks like going against temptation. It looks like going against the world. And it's costly. But the reality is that that's what God has put on us. And not only is there a structure to the actual work that he's doing, and the way that he equips us, But also there's a structure to the very way in which we can go about doing it. Like getting into an airplane. You trust that it's going to be right. God in his wisdom has given us a way of doing things so that it would go right. Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, to Leviticus chapter 22? Oh, man, we're going to Leviticus. Leviticus is an awesome book. It really is. Because you learn about the little things of what God cares about. important you know when you go into like growing up you were in your grandmother's house for thanksgiving and she had a display in the china cabinet of special dishes or special little angels or special little something there's usually a special something in every grandmother's house for some reason but you start to learn a little bit about what she likes and what she cares for And it's usually not just the little angel figurine she might think those are cute but it's special because This was my great-grandmother's, or this came from a special place, or this reminds me of our family heritage, or this whatever. These special drapes that are kind of ugly, you know, they're special for that reason. Your great-great-aunt made these by hand. And so we display them proudly because it matters. And so you get to learn in the little things what she really cares about, what her personality is like, and then, God forbid, when one of them breaks, you get to learn a lot about what she cares about and how she wants to train the children, all those kind of things, right? Same thing with Leviticus. It's like the Lord's display of how we should live. This is what I expect of you. This is how I want you to function. This is what I want you to look like. This is how I want you to represent me. And then he gives you all this way of displaying what his character looks like, not just rules and regulations but how much he loves life and upholds life and how much he cares for animals and all kinds of things that we don't think about when we just look at the book of Leviticus. So looking at that, let's look at Leviticus chapter 22 together. We're going to start at verse 31. The, uh, The context of this, by the way, is that the people of Israel have just come out of slavery in Egypt, which is really important, and they've been delivered by God, brought now, into a place where they are learning all about him because they've, before this, not really known him. And he's made them into his people. And these are all the special things on the China cabinet. Here's one of the laws that he gives them in Leviticus. This is what it says in Leviticus 22. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord, and you shall not profane my holy name that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to this people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. That means uh, assemblies, times to be together as a convocation. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done. But on on the seventh day, it is a Sabbath day of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. The structure that God created for us was based on how he made the world. And when he made the world, for six days, he created everything. And then on the seventh day, he rested. And he said, this day is special to me. It's holy to me. It's set apart. That's what the word holy means. To be something for me. That's special. And for you. So just like I am, six days you will work and one day you will set apart to be able to rest and to make it special for God. Even with the people of Israel, he reiterates how important this is to him. That in his structure, he has these convocations, these times of coming together to worship. One of which is the Sabbath day. One day in the week in which we rest and we stop and we come before God and we remember him. And one of the challenges that we have why we don't have a lot of joy and we feel exhausted all the time is because we don't really believe this anymore. We don't really do it anymore. It's not important. It's just another day. And for God who looks at the heart, who looks at the intentions of who we are, he sees inside of us that we worry so much about the week and what we're doing on the one day that we're supposed to set apart that was made for us to rest, that we could actually have a minute to stop. And instead, even if we're physically just watching football and hanging out, our minds are churning with plans and things and what to do and that deal and how do I get this back and what can I do and how, maybe if I try this and what if the kids and maybe we'll, I, I gotta plan this. And all of a sudden we're so riled up and exhausted from watching football and we don't know what's wrong with us. And the next thing we know, we're just miserable because we've been days and days and days and days without ever stopping. You know, when I was in the military, I used to go. uh, Every Sunday, I would call my mom, and I tried to not make it a big habit too much to call a lot because um, there were a lot of times when I was in Iraq that they would stop all the communications, and actually had a signal that would block all cell phones and stuff, so I couldn't call. they called that Kamo Blackout. And it usually happened during a big operation, Or, uh, unfortunately, if something bad happened, because they didn't want people calling home to say, like, hey, so-and-so got hurt before the military could do all their stuff and everything. So a combo blackout was really common and interrupted a lot of things. So one night, I remember, I used to go out to the motor pool, and I would bring a soda with me, and I'd sit on top of my Humvee. And they're really square, you know? So I'd climb up on the hood, and I'd sit on the roof with my feet, like, on the hood. And that's where I usually would hang out to make my calls. And so I'd sit up there, and I had a little cell phone. It was an Iraqi cell phone, which was weird. And, uh, and I'd call home, and I'd talk to him. So I called home, and my mom's just sobbing on the other end. And I was like, Mom, I'm, I know we will come a blackout. I missed a couple days. I'm really sorry. I'm fine. Everything's fine. We're doing good, despite what you can hear in the background. <laughs> and uh, it had been 66 days since she heard from me. And I didn't realize. I thought I missed a week because I was, I was 18 hours on a day every day, every day, and the only days I was off, I was in meetings or doing other things. I was never off. In 15 months, I was off two days. You don't, you're not off, and those days off were only because I was transferring jobs and I technically didn't have a job for a day, so I was just not doing anything. I was, you were never off, and your times get all... Mixed up because you don't, there's no night and day anymore. You just do stuff all the time. You know, we live like that sometimes. We live like that where we just go and go and go and go and go. And then we finally come to God and it's this emotional release of, Where have you been, God? And usually saying, It's been 66 days since you've done anything or stopped. And I'm not saying that to you as, a thumb on you I'm saying that to you to say I'm part of this too I see it all the time and it's so ingrained in us that you do everything all the time you've got to be productive all the time if you don't perform well you're not going to go anywhere and it's just such a part of who we are that all of a sudden all the stuff that we need to be in in the Lord in his word in prayer with him close to him seeking him it sort of takes a back burner to my success and to my productivity And here's the problem. You will be ineffective for the kingdom of God if you cannot rest. Here's why. It's different. Israel was different in this. They had a day when they stopped completely. That's weird. It's weird sometimes that Chick-fil-A is not open after the meeting. It's frustrating. (laughs) But it's different. And it declares something. Here's what it declares. This is what the Sabbath day does. It says, I trust God that I can stop for one day, more than I believe in myself, that if I work one extra day, I'll get ahead. I trust Him that He will provide for me more than I trust my hands that I can do it for myself. And that heart attitude, which is the same heart attitude, you ready, as tithing. That heart attitude is what matters. And that's why it's in the Ten Commandments. It's not because God loves Sundays or Saturdays or whatever more than, oh, one day I love this day. He loves you. And He doesn't just want your heart turned toward Him, He wants you to actually stop and just rest in His provision. That one day you can really just stop and say, I'm not going to let all my schemes and thoughts and plans go today. And it's okay on a Sunday to take a long run and rest and just say, you know what? You got it, Lord. I trust you. And that's funny because it's not in a flippant kind of Jesus take the wheel. It's not like that. It's because for six days a week we understand that our identity is yoked to him. That we are connected and doing something and producing for him and actually working hard. And one of the greatest challenges of our culture is that it's, there's this huge lie that comes to us that entertainment and your own comfort is the greatest thing you can achieve in life. If you work for 20 years, by God, that company better give you a great retirement because you've earned it. If you work hard, you better play hard. It's a lie. It's a lie. Because God said six days a week until you die, you're going to work for him. And he's equipped you. And he's leading you. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And the structure has given us one day to just stop and give yourself to him and say, Lord, I trust you. I look to you you're my source you're the one who can accomplish all these things it's really different it's really different than the world so how do we actually rest in john chapter 11 or excuse me in matthew chapter 11 jesus is telling a bunch of parables and all these kind of things he tells this about rest that we just read before and in the context right after that because he's the lord of the sabbath he starts healing people on the sabbath And also his disciples are walking through a grain field and they're plucking pieces of grain and eating them. And the Pharisees, the the priests of the day, are just losing their minds because they're they're harvesting. You can't harvest on this day. And Jesus just puts them in their place and says, hey, relax, I'm in charge, basically is what he says. What's incredible is this. We get this picture of what it looks like to be in God's rest. You see, we don't get rest on our own. This is not a spiritual state that we can conjure up. That's what yoga tries to do, by the way. Yoga is a great exercise, but there's a religious element to it. That if you buy into that, you can find this peace. That's what the ideals of of nirvana and all these kind of things, if you just meditate enough, you can get to this restful, peaceful place because it's innate in you. It's part of you because God rested, and he wants you as an image bearer to rest. But he set up a way to do that. And so he shows us in Christ, it's like walking in a field where there's a harvest. And it's like plucking the grain and eating it and being close to him and walking with Jesus. That's what his rest looks like. And the only way that we can enter it is not through our own work and how great we are and what we can do. It's because Jesus paid the price for us. He paid the price that we would know redemption, that we would know righteousness, that we would know peace. You see, we were at odds with God. There was no way in sin to have peace and to have rest. No way, because all the time eternally, we're against God. But when Jesus died for us, he paid the penalty of all of our sin to make us righteous so that when we raised, we would be new creations in him, and suddenly the righteousness of God is on us, and we're at peace with God, and the, the result of that is rest. The only way we can come into rest is through Christ's work, not through our own work. We're saved by Christ, by his death, by his resurrection. We receive his rest through peace. It's through peace that we come before him. Here's the funny part, though. The hallmarks of the kingdom are righteousness, peace, and joy. So if we're walking in the kingdom, if we're seeking the kingdom, rest is a byproduct of walking in the peace of Christ that he has secured for us through the cross. We are yoked to Christ. He is the one who does all the work. He's the one that moves us forward. He's the one that drives us, if you will. But he's also the one who enables us to do anything. Without Christ, we can't do anything. We are yoked to Christ to be kingdom agents of his rest. This is a mindset change. It's a mindset change because for six days, we're actually working. Did you know that there's a provision in the law for priests? Because everybody in Israel is told to rest from their work, except for the holy convocations, which are led by the priests. So there's one person, if you will, one people group on duty on that day. Who is it? It's the priests. And there's a provision for them that in the day of rest, when everybody else shuts down, they can work without profaning the Lord's word. Because they still have to give ministry to the people and to God. Now, that's interesting. It's interesting because when we think that the, the word of God is all about just giving us things, we lose sight of the fact that the Lord has made us a kingdom of priests. That every one of us has been now given a priesthood before God through Christ that we would serve him. And so in his rest we have a mindset change because there's work involved with us that in the midst of his rest and looking forward to eternal rest with him. Which doesn't just mean death. That's not what I mean. I mean when he comes back, that we're still doing this work of ministry with him and that we are as priests serving him in all the things that he's called us to do. That's why we rejoice with Mike at the Great Testimony. Is the work of the priesthood goes forward. Isn't that cool? It's a good thing. So how do we actually rest, though? This is difficult. I have a little chart here for you. Here's what the world says versus what the word says. What the world says versus what the world says. World and word. The world says this. Do less to find rest. Here's what the word of God says. Conquer through God's presence. In the presence of God as a priest, Conquer. Move forward, stand in what he's called you to, see his work moving, moving in the earth. That's what he's called us to. The world tells us that we'll find real rest if we earn without working. So all those great internet businesses that can just generate money while you're not doing anything, that's, that's everywhere. That's how you, that should work for you, is your, your website will generate revenue for you while you're not actually at it. That's what the world says rest really looks like because you can generate this income without having to actually do anything. It's passive. That passive income, that's what we need. The reality is we should trust God with our livelihood. In trusting God, we find rest, not just because we give up, but because we know that he's in control, and every step we take, he's planting our foot, and we're moving into what he's called us to. The world tells us that we should be alone to rest. If you want to reset, then go and be alone, preferably in nature, This is actually off real websites that can tell you how to rest. This is what it can do for you. Invest in yoga. I'm for yoga, by the way, as an exercise. It's very difficult. I'm not good at it. It's really hard. It's a great exercise. But in terms of trying to find rest, this is what you hear. You should do that. Use aromatherapy. Use use mind-altering drugs. Find rest. And when you do all those things, you're going to feel better. The reality is we're supposed to convocate, is what the Word of God says, which means assemble with God's people. If we forsake the assembly, there's something in us that will not find rest. Isn't it funny how on vacation you can miss two, three, four Sundays, and then you just feel scattered? Why is that? It's not because of the legalism of coming. It's because there's something innate in you. That God has called you to be with his people, yoked together with Christ to do something for him. And if you keep missing all the time, you miss out on what God's doing and hearing each other and being sharpened and moving forward and fellowshipping with other people. And all of a sudden, we're just exhausted by life. And what does that make you want to do? Sleep more, isolate more, go away more, retreat more. Isn't that funny how that works? It's not true. The word of God tells us we need to assemble with God's people The world tells us we just need to sleep it off, which is a double meaning, because we should sleep is one thing, and sleep it off is another. Play hard. The Word says on the Sabbath, refrain from work. Don't just sleep. It means refrain from work. Take your time to actually invest yourself into the Word of God. Pray, seek Him, see other people, get encouraged, all those kind of things, instead of just shutting down. The world tells us that we we should reset our mind with entertainment. And the Bible tells us that God's word renews our mind. The world tells us to find rest in yourself. Dig down deep. It's in you. The Bible tells us we need to find rest in Christ. So practically, here's what we need to do. For real rest, we need to stop. It's my cool acronym. Here's what that means. Seek God. Stop seeking entertainment. Stop seeking just time alone. Seek him. See what he says. The second thing we need to do is we need to trust God. We need to give him our lives and trust him that he is actually leading us forward. Trust him with a day that if you just turn off your phone for a while, your business is not going to crumble. We need to actually observe the Sabbath. Now, here's the truth. In the new covenant, we are in his Sabbath rest all the time. It's different now. Everything we do is like a Sabbath to him. So if you go home and cut your lawn or rake leaves, doesn't mean you're violating the Word of God. But if you save up everything you have to Sunday, because that's your one day that's, you know, extra, instead of God's, you're violating the principle of what the Word says. It's His day for you. And what we tend to do is we try to take the Sabbath and say, you know what, I got time Sunday night. It'll be all right. I got time Sunday night. I can think about that. Or we switch into Monday mode at about 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock, we're like, oh, Monday. All right, let's get ready. And also, you might as well be working. You might as well just go to the office. And when we come to church, we're like, well, that was church. So I got, really, I got, after lunch, so I got like two hours. I watch football or I hang out or I go for a run. That's my only time when I'm good. And I'm telling you, we got to change that mindset. we got to stop that. It's not what God's designed us for. It's not what he's designed the Sabbath for. And the last thing that we need to do is we need to pray. We need to actually seek God. We need to look to Him. We need to pray and, and ask Him things and, and look for Him. Now, here's a great way to do that. Ready? Go home, play a game with the kids, and just take a minute and say, Lord, thank you that I can play with the kids. This is so great. Lord, thank you that these leaves are falling from the tree. They're so beautiful. Just acknowledge Him. And it's so radically different. It's so radically different than the world. Who's just looking into yourself that you will be shocked What that does. If you speak in tongues, some of the most powerful times I've had in God is speaking in tongues while I'm mowing the grass. You just get lost. All of a sudden you're mowing it like four times. You're just (laughs) mowing forever because you forget what you're just, you're somewhere else for a while because you're just with Him while you're just walking along in the lawn. It's great. And see, this is the mindset that we have is that with Him, as we observe the Sabbath, He's actually. He's actually with us. His presence is with us. He's moving us forward. We can trust him because he is ruling and reigning, like we sang all day today. And the temptation to walk away from here and forget all those things so that by two o'clock this afternoon, the worries come back. Instead, we say, Lord, I'm stopping. I remember you. You're in charge, you're doing the work. We serve a great God. He's good. If you hear one thing from today, it's not if you don't come to church, you're evil. Okay, that's not the word today. The word today is have a heart change toward what God has already given us to be able to find rest. Because if you're exhausted, and I know we're all exhausted, we need to come to God and find his peace and find his rest and know that he is the one who gives it to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that you have given us your Sabbath. Lord, thank you that we can come to you today and we can pray for those who are sick. We can rejoice at great testimonies. We can do all those things because we know that you, O God, you are ruling, you are reigning, and you are over all things. Lord, help us, God. Help us, Lord, to not just forsake what you have said to us. But, Lord, help us to seek you, to come before you every day but, Lord, especially to find rest in you. And, Lord, I pray for everyone who's here who feels exhausted, everyone who's here who's been fighting and fighting and fighting so much. Lord, you take the battle for them, I pray, because you are our great champion. You are the great defender, God. Lord, I pray for all those who feel just so worn out by children, just every day, all the same stuff. Lord, I pray for every mom and every dad that they would know absolute peace in you, that, Lord, today when they see the children, they would know your rest come upon them. Lord, that instead of the burden of all the time, that instead they would feel your grace shining upon them, that you enable us because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Lord, for every person who's shouldering big business things and money and challenges and all these things, Father, I pray that your peace would overwhelm God. Lord, that you, O Lord, would go before every situation, before every bill collector, before every bill, before every business deal, that you, oh God, would guide us Lord, not just into prosperity, although we look for that, but, Lord, into your peace. Lord, help us to be agents of your rest, of your peace. Help us, God, to represent you with godly businesses. Lord, I pray for everyone who's going home and there's ailments in their mind because they're thinking about their own health. Lord, I pray for healing in the name of Jesus. Lord, that instead of being worrying because what might happen today or how I might feel tomorrow, instead, God, your rest would overwhelm us because you, O Lord, You took the cross for us. You rose again, and you are our God. And so we pray in Jesus' name for deliverance of all these things. Father, we thank you that you're with us. We thank you that you're hearing our prayers. And we thank you that you're going before us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be blessed today. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Not this Wednesday, next Wednesday, Paradigm Shift. We'll see you soon. God bless you all.